Amen. Well, good morning, church. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and (laughs) flip it to Titus 3 as we finish up our series on the book of Titus. Um, It is my personal joy and privilege this morning to end this series, uh, not because it has lasted too long, um, but because all good things must come to an end, not including our eternity with our Heavenly Father, of course. As you are turning there, I'd like you to consider what you would answer this question. What comes to mind when you hear the word devotion? What comes to mind when you hear the word devotion? For those of you who are married, I hope your spouse comes to mind. For those of you who have children, maybe they come to mind. For others of you, maybe it's a particular sport or a particular hobby that comes to mind. Something that you find yourself particularly devoted to. Whatever that is, I want you to think about it and remember it as we go through our sermon today. But before we do that, let us stand for the reading of God's word. This is Titus 3, verses 12 through 15, written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it says this. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that it is to gather with your redeemed people. Lord, we thank you so much this morning for your son who has died and has arisen again so that we might be in these chairs, so that we might worship the God that you are. Lord, this morning before I begin, I want to pray for two things. Lord, firstly, I want to pray for myself. Lord, that you would guard me from pride and that you would guard me from error. Lord, remind me this morning that I am a mere vessel for your truth and nothing more. That the words that I speak are not mine, they are yours. But Lord, secondly, I pray for this congregation this morning. As we finish up our study in the book of Titus, I pray that you would convict all of us at our point of greatest need. That you would open up our eyes and that you would open up our ears to hear and to see what you have for us this morning. That you might transform us to live lives that are honorable to you because of all that you have done for us. Lastly, Lord, I pray that if there is anyone in this room who does not know you, that by the end of this sermon today, before they walk out the doors of this church, that they might repent and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of my sermon this morning is The Duty of Devotion. The Duty of Devotion. And I don't know what came to your minds when I asked you what you think about when you hear the word devotion, but there is a certain um, family tradition 
maybe a sport, I don't know how you'd classify it, that comes to my mind. So I don't know how many of you know this, but I am actually a big deer hunter. Um, I know I don't give off the deer hunting vibe, uh, but that's okay. But believe it or not, in Wisconsin, it is a big thing. So for the past, I don't know, six or seven years, I have went deer hunting. Specifically for the past four years, I have had to finish up all of my exams early, drive six hours home on the Thursday before Thanksgiving, only to drive four hours up north the next Friday morning to be sitting in my deer stand at 6 a.m. Saturday before Thanksgiving on opening day. Now, let me just take a moment here just to say that I think a lot of you think you know what deer hunting is. But let me describe to you what deer hunting actually is. Real deer hunting is sitting in a deer blind for 10 full hours of daylight where you cannot feel your fingers or your toes, because if you're lucky, it'll be 20 degrees outside, where you cannot move lest the deer see you, you cannot talk lest the deer hear you, can't use the bathroom lest the deer smell you, for 10 hours of daylight. And I think a lot of you are asking yourself, oh, and by the way, we do this for a week straight. I think a lot of you are probably asking yourself, why in the world would you ever want to do something like that? Why would you want to torture yourself and bring yourself into that horrible place? The answer? Devotion. Devotion. Because me, my dad, my uncle, and my five cousins every single year are particularly devoted to this practice. Why do I share that story? Because if I were to examine your own life, I would probably find things that you are particularly devoted to that I would find a little crazy. Because we are all devoted to something. Every one of us is devoted to something. The question is, what are we devoted to? Well, today in our text, as Paul finishes up his letter, he is going to encourage us to be devoted to one thing, to be devoted to good works. I think Paul, in verse 14, summarizes his entire letter by saying this, Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. But what are those good works? Well, I think he spent three whole chapters describing what those good works are. So before we begin our exposition this morning, let's do a little bit of review. Let's understand what are these good works that Paul is encouraging us to carry out. Well, Back up two months ago, we looked at chapter 1. And chapter 1, along with chapter 2, specifically focused on how we ought to live as the church in the church. We looked at how we ought to live godly lives as steered by sound doctrine. That's how Clay started in the first couple of verses of chapter 1. But then we looked at, if we're supposed to be the church in the world, we're supposed to devote ourselves to commit ourselves to appointing qualified elders within the church. Then I preached on what it looks like to rebuke false teachers in the church. If we're supposed to be the church, if we're supposed to be devoted to what God has us to, we need to rebuke false doctrine. In chapter 2, we looked at what it looks like to have healthy church relationships. Right? We should be devoted in carrying out healthy church relationships. And as Zach preached to us several weeks ago, all of this, all of chapters 1 and 2 is grounded in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But ministry does not stop within the walls of the church. So in chapter 3, 
uh, <clears throat> both Zach and Doug showed us how we are to live out the church in the world. How ministry might start in these four walls, but ministry does not stop there as we live distinct lives that look different from those around us. And here in verses 12 through 15 of chapter 3, I don't think Paul's adding anything new to his letter. I, th I think he's simply encouraging us to do that which he has already taught. So this morning, my, my big idea is this, is that devoting ourselves to good works is necessary for effective ministry. Devoting ourselves to good works is necessary for effective ministry. If we want to seek to be and to live as the church, we need to devote ourselves to good works. So this morning, just two simple points. The first one is going to be a little bit more specific, as I believe Paul gives us a specific way in which we can be devoted to good works. But then he backs up in verse 14. And he gives us a broad application of how we're supposed to live our good lives as we devote ourselves to good works. So let's go ahead and dive in in verses 12 through 13. I'm going to read them again. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. My first point for this morning is that specifically, we ought to devote ourselves to the sending and the receiving of gospel ministers. The sending and receiving of gospel ministers. I know it's a mouthful, but we're going to unpack it. So firstly, let me note about these verses, verses 12 and 13. A lot of times we dismiss verses like these as mere historical notes that have nothing to do with our lives. And I don't want to over-preach these verses, but what I do want to call us to is a remembrance that if we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful, we must ask, what are these verses trying to communicate first to Titus and then to us? So let's unpack these a little bit. In verse 12, I think what Paul is describing is a transition plan that was about to take place in the church of Crete. Paul says, I am going to, sp to send one or one of the two of these gospel ministers to the church in Crete. Paul says he's either going to send Artemis, who we really don't know much about in Scripture, or Tychicus to you. Tychicus, uh, by the way, I have no clue if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, but nevertheless, is described as a beloved brother in both Ephesians and Colossians. And we know that he accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey. So what Paul says is he's going to send one of these two gospel ministers to go to the church of Crete so that Titus might leave and join Paul in other aspects of the ministry. This was Paul's transition plan that he was putting in place for the future of the church of Crete. But in verse 13, we find what I will argue is a little bit of a missionary support plan. Zenos here is described as a lawyer, meaning that he was an expert in either Jewish or Roman law. But we also find Paul mentioning his brother Apollos, which we know a lot more of in Scripture. In Acts 18, he was a bold speaker for the gospel. And we also see that he probably hung out or pastored uh, the church in Corinth for a time. Most likely, Zenos and Apollos are Paul's, if you will, gospel mailmen who are taking the letter of Titus to the church in Crete. And as this letter is read, Paul 
<laughs> beforehand wrote that this church in Crete should also send them out. Look at what Paul says directly to Titus, but by extension to the church, that they should spin Zenos and Apollos on their way. Why? That they might lack nothing. Here in verse 13, this is an encouragement to the church in Crete, but to us as well, to take in those who the Lord sends for a time, but also to send them out on their way with prayer support, with financial support, that they might lack nothing. And that's what I find this morning in verses 12 through 13. Once again, I don't want to over-preach them, but I want to realize that Paul is here commanding the church to trust the Lord amidst transition. Because Paul here is sending a new pastor in calling that church to send another pastor away. Furthermore, he's, he's calling the church to accept Zenos and Apollos as these gospel mailmen for maybe, I don't know, a couple weeks, but as soon as possible to send them on their way and to support them. And let's just be honest, Christ Fellowship Church. The context in which we live in is very transitional at points. Because of the context of the seminary, we have people come and we often have people go. And even for those who aren't associated with the seminary, we just live in a transitional world where we have members come and we have members go. But we also have seminary students come and a perfect example is me right now. I'm not going to be here forever. But I am more than ready and more than encouraged by this church sending me out. So let these two verses be an encouragement to us. That we as a church need to be ready to send financial support, prayer support, whatever that looks like. As we equip those to be sent out to wherever they may go. Even if it's the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. But also to be a church that receives I don't know the full history of this church, but I don't think Jeff, Clay, and Doug were here from the very beginning. There has already been transition in this church, and as we grow, we will have to call new elders. And I think that these verses are a good scriptural support to realizing that we need to trust the Lord in that transition. But Paul quickly moves from this specific application of something that we ought to be devoted to, and he steps back in verse 14 and gives a broad principle that we can apply to our lives. Read verse 14 with me. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. This is my second point for uh, this morning. We're gonna camp out here a little bit because I think this is at the heart of what Paul is trying to communicate. So my second point for tonight, for this morning rather, is that broadly... We ought to devote ourselves to all good works to fulfill the needs of many. Here in verse 14, I, I think Paul gives an action that we ought to devote ourselves to and two reasons for why we ought to devote ourselves to that specific action. So one action and two reasons behind that action. So let's go ahead and unpack the action. What are we supposed to do Paul writes to Titus and commands him to have the people learn to devote themselves to good works. But before we unpack the devotion to good works, let us realize that Paul uses this word, learn. And it is a small word, but I think it's encouraging to us. Because learning, by necessity, implies what? It implies a process, right? 
You don't wake up one day and learn everything, right? Everyone in America is pretty much required to do 12 years of school. Now, last time I checked, a first grader is not expected to know what a senior in high school knows, right? Learning by implication requires a process. What does it also mean? It means that you're going to fail. And I think why Paul uses the word learn is he realizes that the church in Crete and likewise us as Christians in general need to learn how to devote ourselves to good works. Let me encourage you, Christ Fellowship Baptist Church, that as we learn to devote ourselves to good works, we are going to fail. We are not going to do this perfectly. There's a quote that I often tell those who I counsel and those who I mentor, is that perfection is always the goal. Perfection is always the goal. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus calls us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We never strive for less than the ideal. Perfection is the goal, but progress is how we get there. And I think that's just greatly helpful for us this morning to realize that we're not going to wake up one day and be completely sanctified. It's, yes, it is about perfection, but it's also about direction. Which way are we going towards? And Paul here describes that we are to go into the direction of devoting ourselves to good works. So let's look at the action. The action is devoting ourselves to good works. But in order to understand that, we have to understand what the term devotion means. So with all of my Greek knowledge that I have learned in seminary, I decided to Google what the English definition of the word devotion means. So according to Google, that was supposed to be funny. There you go, thank you. According to Google, devotion is a deep love and loyalty to a particular person, activity, or cause. A deep love and loyalty to a particular person, activity, or cause. If you are devoted to something, you are in love with it. You are loyal to it to the point that you are willing to forego other personal pleasures and personal desires in order to obtain it. I gave the example of deer hunting, right? I give up my own personal comfort. Nobody wants to sit for 10 hours in 20 degree weather where you can't feel your toes or your fingers for no other reason than being particularly devoted to that practice. But think of some other examples. Think of those who climb mountains, right? I have some cousins who climb mountains. That takes a particular aspect of devotion where you have to give your personal desires up for months of training so that you can devote yourself and discipline yourself to climbing that mountain. Think of those who run marathons. You don't just get up in the day and run a marathon. It takes a certain aspect of foregoing your own personal pleasures. And let that be an encouragement to us this morning that when we seek to live out God's will for our lives, when we seek to devote ourselves to good work, sometimes it is hard. And I think what Paul's trying to convey to us in this word devotion is that that might just mean we're doing the right thing. That living out the Christian walk is not always an easy thing. We have to bear our cross daily as we carry out God's will for us. Devoting ourselves. But devoting ourselves to what? Paul says we ought to devote ourselves to good works. What is a good work? Well, put simply, a good work is any action, right, work, that accords with the character of God. 
any action or work that accords with the character of God. Paul, in the book of Titus, has given us, if you will, a small handbook on good works. He references this idea of good works in chapter 1, verse 16, in chapter 2, 7, in 2, 14, in 3, 1, in 3, 8, and lastly, 3, 14. In this small three-chapter letter, Paul references good works six times. I think there's a reason for that. I think what Paul is trying to show is that everything in this book is a good work that you can devote yourself to. Furthermore, good works go outside of the book of Titus as we learn how to devote ourselves to the other things in Scripture as well, such as the fruit of the Spirit, such as evangelizing to our neighbors. The list goes on and on. But put simply, I think what Paul is encouraging us to do here is to apply that which we've learned. We've spent two months studying ecclesiology, right? The doctrine of the church. But here, at the end of chapter 3, we, we, we end where we begun. We end by realizing that all of this is not to be a theoretical concept. It's to be practical as we live out what we have learned. So that's the action. Devoting ourselves to good works. But why do we do that? Well, I think Paul gives two reasons. Firstly, he says that we ought to devote ourselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. To help cases of urgent need. Brothers and sisters, this is where ministry is brought from heaven down to earth. This is where the abstract concepts that we talk about become actual practices. This is where the theoretical becomes practical. A practical devotion to good works manifests itself as we meet the needs of others, both inside and outside the church. So where does this start? I think this starts inside the church. As we fellowship with one another and meet one another's needs... And I particularly enjoy about this church that I think we do a very good job at that. But what does that look like? Well, prayers need to be prayed for the sick. Meals need to be delivered to new parents. Counsel needs to be given to the hurting. Encouragement needs to be given to the faint-hearted. Teaching needs to be given to the youth. Dirty toilets need to be cleaned. Floors need to be vacuumed. And college students who are tired of eating in the cafeteria need to be cooked a home-cooked meal. I'm hungry. I'm kidding. Okay. <clears throat> but once again, though ministry starts within the church, it does not end there. Brothers and sisters, there are needs in this community. Homeless people need homes. The poor need to be fed. Orphans need parents. Troubled children need godly encouragement and church fellowship when their parents don't bring them to church. The list goes on and on. The question is whether or not we are looking to fulfill those needs. I had a small group leader in high school who had a quote. He said this. He said, fill, he said, see a need, fill a need. 
see a need, fill a need. And I think that's what Paul is encouraging us to do here. He's encouraging us for when we see needs in the church, when we see needs outside the church, don't sit around and ask somebody else to do it. There's a little bit of a cheesy, um, but greatly encouraging K-Love song by Matthew West. Sometimes you just need a K-Love song, let's just be honest. The first verse goes like this. It says, I woke up this morning. I saw a world full of trouble and I thought, how did we ever get so far down and how is it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven and I thought, God, why don't you just do something? I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven. I said, God, why don't you just do something? And God said, I did. I created you. Church, what are we doing to fulfill the needs of many, both within and without the church? What are we doing to devote ourselves to good works so as to fulfill the needs of those around us? And let me spend a little bit more time here and help us to realize that the good works that we devote us to, ourselves to These needs that we fulfill both inside and outside the church sometimes aren't the needs that we want to fulfill, right? Because we all want to be John Piper. Okay, maybe I want to be John Piper. But we all want to be these famous Christians who go out and do great things for the Lord with this broad influence. We all want to be John Piper, but nobody wants to be Tim Yorgi. You ask, who in the world is Tim Yorgi? I go, exactly. Because he's a pastor of a small church in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, where no one will ever know his name, no one will ever read his books, no one will ever follow him on Twitter, except for the 80 or 90 people that go to his church on a Sunday morning. And what I want to encourage you with this morning is if God so calls you to fulfill the needs of many, even though it might not be your dream job or your dream position, are you content with that? I read a quote in a book once, and I couldn't help but throwing it in here. It says, you're willing to go overseas for Christ. That's great. But are you willing to do the dishes for him? We all picture ourselves doing these great things for Christ, but let us remember that if we want to do those great things for Christ, we're never going to get there unless we do the mundane, mundane things. If we don't get up every morning and read our Bibles, if we don't encourage and counsel those around us, don't lose sight of what God can do even in those quote-unquote smaller things. Zach asked me once, he said, you're willing to die for Christ, but are you willing to live for him? I think that's greatly applicable to the sermon this morning. But what's our second reason? Our second reason, why do we devote ourselves to good works, is, is that so we might not be unfruitful, is what Paul says. Learn or let our people learn to devote ourselves to good works so that we might not be unfruitful. I'm not going to spend too much time on this point, but just listen to these words from Jesus in John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Let us remember, church, that there is no category for a stagnant 
Christian. There is no category for an unfruitful Christian. If you call yourself saved, and if you are truly saved, you will be producing fruit as you devote yourself to good works and fulfill the needs of those around you. Paul writes verse 15 here. He says, All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. I think the heart of our text is in verse 14. But here in verse 15, I think we just see Paul's heart for the church. Notice the selflessness here. He's not concerned about the grace of God and all of these wonderful privileges coming to himself. Paul writes this letter with his own hand and he says, I want you to be greeted. I want God's grace to be with you. I want things to go well with you. And what I just want to encourage ourselves with this morning is as we devote ourselves to good works, it takes our eyes off of ourselves. Yes, I pray for God's grace to be upon me. I pray for God's goodness and his love and his kindness to be upon me. But do we pray that for others? So in conclusion, where have we gone and where are we going? Our big idea for this morning was that devoting ourselves to good works is necessary for effective ministry. Firstly, we looked at how we need to be devoted to the receiving and the sending of gospel ministers. If we want to live and we want to be the church, we need to trust the Lord in the transition. But secondly, we need to broadly devote ourselves to all good works to fulfill the needs of many. Whether those good works that God calls us to be worldwide and famous or whether they be good works that only a few people know of. But brothers and sisters, if I were to stop this sermon now, I will have taught a moralistic and legalistic sermon, which I do not want to do. Because yes, we are called to devote ourselves to good works, but let us remember that that is not where our salvation is found. Jump back with me to Titus 3, verses 3 through 5. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, Let astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Before we came to Christ, we were sinners. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, verse 5, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Brothers and sisters, we are not saved by our good works. As the reformers so wonderfully said, right? We are saved by faith alone. But as we looked at this morning, that faith that saves is never alone. Brothers and sisters, we are saved by the perfect life, by the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the basis of our salvation. So don't hear me stand up here and say to you that you need to work your way to heaven. But do hear me stand up here and say, That if God has saved you by his love, by his mercy, and by his grace, you need to devote yourself to good works. It is not the root of your salvation, but it is the fruit of your salvation. Dear brothers and sisters of Christ Fellowship Baptist Church, let us realize this morning that we will never, ever 
perfectly devote ourselves to good works. Each and every day we will fail. But we have a God who sent his son to do the one good and ultimate work that was good enough to save us from all of our failures. Christ has died on our behalf and risen again so that we might live. Let us now return this great act of grace to our devotion to good works. You will be devoted to something. It might be deer hunting. It might be your spouse or your family. All of those are good things. But above all else, are you devoted to carrying out the good works that God has called you to? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that it was to once again look at your word. Lord, thank you for the book of Titus and how it encourages us to live out what you have so called us to. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your son. We thank you for saving us for how many times we have failed to devote ourselves to good works. Let us now live our lives in a response to your great mercy upon us. Amen.